postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. Hello, hello, mighty parent or parent-to-be. Welcome to Birthful. I'm Adriana Lozada, and here we are at the last episode of our Care Provider series. And this is going to be one of those short yet powerful episodes that I do by myself from time to time to help close out the series. Okay, so after talking to a whole array of providers, I wanted to leave you with a super helpful set of questions that can help confirm that your care provider is a good fit for you and also help you get a better idea of the protocols that you may encounter toward the end of the pregnancy so that you can then clarify if your provider really practices shared decision making when it comes to your care. All of these questions are great ones to ask during the interview process, and some of them are especially important to ask or re-ask as you get into your second and third trimester. And truly, we cannot overstate how crucial it is to choose the care provider that's right for you and the impact that's going to have in your birth experience. In fact, a systematic review of the research found four factors that make the greatest contribution to a person's satisfaction during birth. And these four factors are having good support from care providers, having a high-quality relationship with their care providers, being involved in decision-making about the care, and having better-than-expected experiences. So yeah, this is really important foundational work. Now, when you look online, many of the suggested lists of questions to ask your care providers focus more on getting information about what you should be doing, like what foods to avoid or asking your care provider about what exercises you can do, how much weight you should gain. But there were very few questions about asking them what they're going to do for you and how they're going to do it. 
And because being involved in decision-making about your care is something that you can assess on a constant basis and even during the interview process, I wanted to give you a list of questions that can help you figure out if things are being done just because or because they actually make sense in your care and whether you get to have a say, which, of course, you should. If you don't have a care provider yet or you're wanting to switch care providers, What you should ask them for is for an initial consultation instead of an intake. And that way, the approach will be of answering your questions with ample time. So the first question would be to ask them how many births they did last month and how many of those were primary cesareans, how many vaginal deliveries, and how many inductions. And that's going to give you a, a nice picture of what they tend to do more. So if you're looking for a vaginal delivery with non-induction, you're going to get a sense if that's something your provider is really going to support. Then my second question is, do you regularly work with doulas and who would you recommend? If they say, oh, we don't work with doulas or you get a sense that that's not something they're open to, they are then telling you that they will limit your labor support and As we know from the research, having good support is really important. So that is kind of a red flag, especially when caregivers don't spend a lot of time in the room and you are going to need other people around you to give you that support, not just your main care provider. My third question is, as your due date approaches, what can you expect? Do they have policies around going past 40 or 41 weeks? And some examples of that would be automatically sweeping your membranes at, say, your 39-week appointment, or that towards the end of your prenatal care, you start getting cervical checks at every appointment, or that they tend to do inductions for due dates just because you're however many weeks along, not because there's a specific reason of why an induction is recommended. Ah, postpartum brain fog. Did you even know that was a thing? But I'm guessing that if you have little ones at home, you're probably feeling it along with the increased mental load of trying to be a multitasking caregiver facing the stressful demands of everyday life. And that's without even considering the added lack of sleep. It's definitely a lot, which is why I'm so appreciative of Needed's Cognitive Support Supplement created to help support key aspects of cognitive health like focus and attention, brain health and memory, and even alleviate brain fog and eye fatigue. Now, what makes Needed's Cognitive Support so unique is that unlike many other cognitive support supplements, Needed's is appropriate to take while breastfeeding. In fact, it was designed with this in mind. But don't just take my word for it. In an in-market study, 92% of people taking Needed's Cognitive Support saw an improvement in overall cognitive function, with 78% seeing an improvement in mental clarity, aka brain fog. And of these many positive reviews, my favorite is one that says, quote, This is my third postpartum period. This is the best I have felt mentally and physically, despite now having three kiddos to care for, end quote. Basically, taking Needed's cognitive support is an easy way to help reclaim your brain during postpartum. 
Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. Another question you can ask is at what point they talk about the artificial induction of labor and what are some reasons for inductions? And that piggybacks really well on the previous question. Going past your due date is not a reason for an induction, and neither is necessarily the assumption that your baby is big. In fact, the research tells us that the perception of your baby being big leads to more cesareans than your baby actually being big, you know, when you weigh them after they're born. And they're like, no, this baby wasn't so big, but we thought they were big. And so therefore there was a an induction or a cesarean. Another question you can ask is if during labor you'll be able to move about freely and eat and drink. We know movement is really important in helping labor flow and helping baby move down the birth canal. So it's really important that you are able to move about freely. And then there's a lot of debate and research around eating and drinking during labor. It depends on what interventions might be in place, but if you are having a low-risk, non-interventive birth, you should be able to eat and drink. And if they are against that, then that requires a deeper conversation. You can also ask them, number six, what are some non-medical ways to encourage labor flow? And if the only way they encourage labor flow is by augmenting your labor with Pitocin, then that might be a red flag as well. There are many ways to encourage your labor to flow other than requiring an intervention that will probably then end up limiting your movement and also adding more fluids to your body and, you know, you go down a little rabbit hole of interventions. So yeah, ask them what are some non-medical ways that they can encourage your labor flow. Number seven would be, do you have a favorite position for the pushing stage? And in what other positions do people often push in? If they tell you that their favorite position for the pushing stage is lying on your back, that's also kind of a red flag. You should be able to push in whatever position you like. And if they can't come up with other positions, then that is something to consider. A good shared decision-making answer would be, there's no one favorite position. People push in all sorts of positions, and it would be whatever position you're comfortable in. And also, we're probably going to try several positions because pushing can take a bit of time and that involves movement. And my last question number eight is how soon do they usually clamp the cord after birth and have they ever waited for the placenta to be delivered before clamping and cutting the cord? The reason why I threw that question in, even though it relates to things that happen after the baby is born, is because I find that shared decision-making might really be fine and go throughout labor, but when it gets to the point where baby's already been born and baby's looking fine, a lot of things are done very quickly without asking questions and without your input. So this might help suss that out. We know that delayed cord clamping is 
very beneficial for babies, but that delayed cord clamping can mean different things for different people. So a provider might be thinking that 30 seconds is delayed cord clamping, while you might be thinking that five minutes is delayed cord clamping, and there's a disconnect. Getting behind the actual amount of time is going to be helpful to you. And my bonus question is to ask them if they're doing any anti-racism work individually in their practice, or if any work is being done by the hospital or birth center where they work. Because we know that racism is a key component of why we have such awful perinatal mortality and morbidity rates in this country. So that's an important question to ask, especially if you're a person of color. Now, regardless of what answer they give you, listen to the language that is being used. Is there shared decision-making happening, or are you just being told what to do? Are the answers vague? Are they gaslighting you? Are they using scare tactics, being patronizing, dismissive, or even getting angry? Of course, all of those things are red flags. Continue to check in with yourself, especially as your due date approaches, to make sure they are still practicing shared decision-making in your care. If you find yourself, say, telling a friend that your care provider won't let you this or that, see if you can substitute, I choose not to, instead of, they won't let me. And does that feel truthful to you? If not, it's probably not shared decision making. And so explore that. If you find yourself being coerced into interventions, two great questions to ask are, is my baby in danger and am I in danger? And if the answer is not a definite yes, then you have time to explore your options. Remember to use your brain acronym to figure out the benefits, the risks, the alternatives, and to get more information or use your intuition and ask what happens if you do nothing or what happens next if you agree to that, what is being suggested. And so, ta-da, this wraps up our Care Provider Series. Next up, we're going to be talking about supporting your body during pregnancy, so stay tuned for that. You can connect with us at Birthful Podcast on Instagram. And in fact, if you're not driving, why not take a screenshot of this episode and post it to your Instagram stories, sharing your biggest takeaway from the episode. Make sure to tag at Birthful Podcast so we can see it and amplify it. You can find the in-depth show notes and transcript of this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about my birth and postpartum preparation classes and download your free postpartum preparation plan. Also, if you find this podcast to be an invaluable resource for you, the best way to support us is by taking any one of my perinatal classes, doing one of my doula workshops, or trying out some of the wonderful products made by our sponsors. This is what allows us to continue doing this work. Birthful is created and produced by me, Adriana Lozada, with production assistance from Asia Plati. This episode was produced in part by LWC Studios, Paulina Velasco, Virginia Lora, Cedric Wilson, and Kojin Tashiro. Thank you, as always, for sharing and listening to Birthful. Be sure to follow us on GoodPod, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and everywhere you listen. And make sure you come back for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them?
That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.